0: Continuing in our series in the Exodus, we come this morning to Exodus chapter 30. Our New Testament complimentary passage is John's Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. With your Bibles open to John's Revelation, and with a bulletin insert in Exodus chapter 30, as a bookmark, please stand. Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, rose before God from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Exodus chapter 30. Continuing in the reading of God's word, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps he shall burn it, and when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering on it, and Aaron or and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of the atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations." It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give a the Lord's offering, the rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than the half shekel, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that he may be bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives." The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout the generations. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much, much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And You shall make of these a sacred anointing oil. Blended as by the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whoever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests And galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of which of each shall there be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Thus far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read, we pray that you would show us glorious things from your word. Show us our Savior, your love for us, and our security in you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So no matter who you are, you're probably familiar with some of the great works or lines out of Shakespeare. You're familiar, everybody is familiar with the Romeo and Juliet scene, right? What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet, right? That's a a phrase that is common to everyone. Here's another line. It comes from Shakespeare's play, As You Like It. And he says, it's actually Jacques who who says it, all the world is a stage, and all the men are merely players. They have their parts, they have their exits, and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. And Shakespeare is pointing to a reality that there is something in our life Something in what we do, something in what we are, how we live our lives, that is played out on a stage. There, there's a, there's, a, and in As You Like It, he's, he's actually saying it's sort of a dark comedy. Uh, basically, the speech goes on to say you're born without any teeth, and you end up without any teeth. Uh, and you go through all the other phases in your life. Uh, and, and so it's kind of a dark comedy that, that he's pointing out there. But he's right in that the world is a stage. And you and I are players on that stage. So in John's revelation, what John does is that stage that is your life, the getting up in the morning, the washing the dishes, the eating breakfast, the, clothing the children, the organizing the day, the commute to work, the the job that you do, the commute home, all of the things that you know there's got to be more to life than this. (laughs) There's got to be more than simply being a hamster on a wheel. Uh, Surely life has more meaning to this. You know deep inside that it does. You know there's a curtain and you know something's behind that curtain. And John in his revelation opens up the curtain. And he says, let me show you what's going on behind. You think you're just living your life? Here are the cosmic forces. Here are the glorious, majestic images that John gives us. Exodus is doing the same thing. Exodus is giving us that scene behind the curtain. It's doing so in the form of objects. Moses in Exodus tells us of the centrality of an atoning sacrifice that is necessary for you and for me to have a right relationship with God, to enter into God's presence. So, how does he tell us about an atoning sacrifice? that is necessary for you and I to enter into God's presence, he gives us these images. The altar, the most precious thing in the entire tabernacle, covered in gold. The holy of holies, where only that mercy seat and only that Ark of the Covenant is found. But then the holy place where we've got the table of showbread and the lampstand, these, these symbols not only of communion with God in the table of showbread, but also of the church, the Garden of Eden in the working of the lamp, and the church and her light that John picks up in Revelation. And then we move outward into the courtyard, and we've seen the tabernacle itself and all of the, the ways in which the tabernacle is constructed. One of the things I didn't point out uh, when we were talking about the priesthood, I actually did pick this up from the Table Talk magazine, uh, is is that the clothing of the priest is described identically to the tabernacle. So the priest himself is a mini version of the tabernacle. Uh, His clothing, the purple and scarlet and, and fine twine linen, all of that is the covering of the tabernacle, and it's on the priest himself, so that he is coming, in a sense, as the tabernacle before God, which all of a sudden then you start hearing some of the language in the New Testament. You are the temple of God, uh, and, and, you know, etc. But Exodus is showing us, and, and the, we know this is true because of a phrase that we've been hearing over and over again as we've been moving through these chapters, which is, make sure you build it after the pattern that I have shown you. Now what's, you seamstresses, what's the point of a pattern? It's to produce exactly what the reality is. Somebody made a dress and then pulled out all the stitches and carved out all the stuff on the paper and then put it in a package and you bought it at Michael's and then you go home and lay out all the paper and you replicate the pattern and you end up with the dress. That's my entire summary knowledge of everything seamstressy. The pattern tells us there's an original. And Moses makes it clear that all of this stuff is a pattern. And the original is in the heavenly places. This is what is going on in God's dealing with mankind and so as we have seen this 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 idea of the what is behind the scenes the, the, the god's mysterious workings his providences his purposes in history his purposes in your life these things brought forward into our daily routines studying working all of our daily stuff this, this stuff brought forward we start to see some of the glory of what God is showing us here. And this morning, we come to Exodus chapter 30. And very clearly, God is really concerned with oil and with incense. Very, very clearly, this is a big deal in the passage. Did you notice how that altar of incense... Do you remember when we we went through the tabernacle, when we went through the descriptions of the tabernacle, we said the most precious thing ever is covered in gold. The second most precious thing is silver. The third most precious thing is bronze. And we've been following a pretty careful progression from... The Holy Place, the Holy of Holies, all covered in gold, to the Holy Place, the Tent of Meeting, to the outer tabernacle and that altar that's made of bronze that's right there in the gateway. And now all of a sudden we jump back again. We jump back into the Holy Place. Did Moses forget? Is this like a... ah? You know, you can't, you can't insert, this is all parchment, so, you know, what can you do? I'm, I'm, I'm writing this stuff down on parchment. Totally forgot that altar thing. Eh, we'll just stick it in here. Of course not. That is not at all why this is out of place. So as we look briefly at this passage this morning, I want to look at it in three ways. The first is the place of prayer. The place of prayer. The second is the one who prays. The one who prays. And then thirdly, prayer's effect. The place of prayer, both textually and then geographically in the outlay of the the tabernacle, it comes after the essentials have been accomplished. The mercy seat, the atonement, the high priest, the intercession, everything standing between you and God must have a mediator. You come bebopping into God's presence saying... Love me or leave me. Take me as I am. This is what you get, God. And you will get struck dead. You may not get struck dead physically, but you will most certainly get struck dead in your marriage. You'll get struck dead in your own personal sense of of prosperity. You'll make stupid choices. The, the, The person who says... I can run this show on my own without God's setup, is the person who makes life-wrecking choices. You destroy yourself. And so we've got to get that sorted. The holy place, all of these things, we've got to get that sorted first. That's the primary. And then we can come back around to this altar of incense. Now, you heard me say prayer in my outline, and you may be saying, where did he get that from? Well, both, Psalm 141, which we opened up, let my prayer be as incense before you. And then, Revelation chapter 8, where John is describing what prayer accomplishes. The angels take incense from the altar They mingle it with the prayers of the saints and they lift it up before God. And so the incense has always been, both Old Testament and new, a sign, a symbol, a stand-in for prayer, for the prayers of the people going up before God. It is here and it is throughout the rest of the Scripture. But I want you to think, about what incense does. Did you ever burn incense? You, who used to be teenagers. Did you ever try to cover up any smells that you didn't want Mom and Dad to know about? <laughs> By burning a little stick of incense in your room? You remember the smell of incense? Or maybe you just went through a season in your life? <laughs> maybe you just went through a season in which I... anyway, <laughs> maybe you just went through a season in which you just enjoyed the smell of incense and you thought it'd be cool to do all the hippie stuff. And and so you burned incense in your room. It fills a room. It changes the smell of a room, that little stick of incense. So what is incense going to do in a closed-in tent in the middle of the desert? (laughs) It's going to have... A strong effect. It's going to change the entire dynamic of that room. When the priest walks in, his eyes are going to have to adjust to the change in light. No windows in this tabernacle. Just candlesticks. He's coming in from the hot sun. He's going to have to stand for a second or two. Let his eyes adjust. He doesn't have to adjust his nose. Instantly. The smell of that incense defines this experience for him. And beloved, that's how God sees your prayer. Your prayer perfumes the entire process, the entire experience of the Christian life. And your prayer is specifically mentioned as sweet before God. Pleasing before God. A delight to God. Before we move on to the one who prays, notice in verses 17 to 21, in the middle of all this incense stuff, we come up with this basin that's filled with water and that Moses and Aaron are supposed to wash their hands and their feet. And you you notice what God said. They need to wash their hands and their feet because if they don't, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die. Now trust me, this is not any secret code for why you should wash your hands or your feet. This is a sign. It's a symbol of coming before God cleansed. The the psalmist takes this up. Psalm 51. You remember what David says in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart. Psalm 24. Who is it that can ascend the holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. God's not concerned necessarily, at least in this context, about your hygiene. The cleansing of the hands is to represent the fact that my hands are clean. My life is clean. I don't do things with these hands that are unclean. I don't do things with these feet. I don't go places with these feet that would defile me. My hands and my feet are clean. And then I am ready to offer up this sweet incense before God. Prayer is absolutely essential to this entire tabernacle experience. It is a critical element in the tabernacle. The place of prayer is right there in the very heart of things, covered in gold. It is precious beyond belief. How many of you can honestly say that describes your prayer life? How many of you can honestly say that your prayers with God are intense and sweet? And it's a time, of a season of communion, of richness. The aroma of your prayers going up before God is that incense on the altar of incense. Probably not. And I can say that because guess what? I know you're human. (laughs) And I struggle. But this is how God sees prayer. And this is what prayer should be. But this passage also focuses on the one who is doing the praying. And you see that here in this odd little insert. Why In all this stuff about incense and altars and all that, why do we have verses 11 through 16 of chapter 30? Why, just seemingly randomly in the middle of nowhere, do we have a census? Well, you can get the answer to this, or you know, you get get a hint to the answer of this, if you'll notice that the people who are being counted are every male. 20 years or older. Did you hear that in the reading? Immediately, if you're starting to say, okay, we need a count of all the men 20 years and older, you're thinking military. And you would be right to think so. It's, I don't know, I don't like the translation that is found in most of our English Bibles. I think maybe the NIV uh, does it well. But the word "number." that is there, it's three times right after each other in verses 12 and 13. When you number them, that there be no plague among them. When you number them, each one who is numbered. So just there, did you hear, numbered, numbered, numbered. The Hebrew word is actually a military term, muster. These people are to be mustered. And when you muster them, And then that there be no plague when you muster them. This is a military. This is an engagement. This is a serious moment. Many of you are either in the military or have served time in the military. If you were one of those stupid people that showed up on induction day going, dude, this is going to be fun. You got a wake-up call. (laughs) I did do some time in the military, and I do remember in my barracks, early in our basic training, I was assigned guard duty, which was pointless, to stay up all night for no good reason on a perfectly secure base, but that was my job. And I remember hearing grown men crying in the wee hours of the morning. I wonder if any of you remember that kind of thing if you were in the military. (laughs) Grown men who are going to be getting up tomorrow morning with guns (laughs) who are going to be doing hand-to-hand combat in the middle of the night crying for their mamas. Because military life is not what you want to do. It is what the sergeant tells you to do. Military life is not comfortable it's be on the cutting edge, get better every day, get stronger every day, because only the strong survive. Military life is you got blisters on your feet, idiot, you should have changed your socks, now deal with it. You got to march and blisters on your feet. Military life is not a pleasant, necessarily pleasant life. And there's this military aspect. God expects you to sign up. God expects you to lean in. It's also interesting in this census, you'll notice, Moses makes a great point of everybody gives half a shekel. Now, this is uh, a a weight of silver. No, not an insignificant amount of silver. If I recall, it's around an ounce. uh, An ounce of silver to a shekel. So about a half ounce of silver. From these millions of people, full out of silver coming in. But he makes a point of saying the rich person shall not give more than a half a shekel. And the poor person shall not give less than half a shekel. And the point here is God demands buy in from you. And every single one of you, stand completely equally before God in this in the in this matter every single one of us is responsible for our relationship with God every single one of us is personally responsible for buy-in and that's something that I mean that's church membership. To a large degree, but that's something that should certainly flavor our Christian life. It's also interesting in this in this section on the on the on the muster. uh, Each of you will give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you muster them, that there be no plague among them when you muster them. Hear how God how seriously God is taking this. That half shekel is a ransom for your life. And if you shirk this responsibility, where do you think their last experience of plagues was? It was about a month ago. In Egypt. The Nile turning to blood boils all over everybody, flies all over the place. All of that, God says... Don't forget, that's me. That's my hand of judgment. Now, beloved, just speaking as someone who kind of has some experience in this area, my guess is that if there is no buy in from you, if you're fine just strolling through life with a casual relationship with God and a casual relationship with His church, you're not causing anybody problems, nobody's causing you problems. You're not interested in giving your half shackle, and you're not particularly interested in being mustered. My guess is that the Nile is not going to turn to blood on your behalf. My guess is you pour yourself a bath and it'll still be soapy water. It's not going to be blood. My guess is you're not going to have flies suddenly descend all over your house. My guess is you're not going to wake up the next morning with boils all over your body. But beloved, my promise... My promise is that your life will be hell. You will destroy your marriages. You will destroy your childhoods. You will destroy your children. You will destroy your parents' hearts. You will shred everything around you. That is a promise from God's Word. That is why He demands that there be buy-in from each one of us the same. Every single one of us is responsible to stand on his or her two feet and take ownership of your relationship with God. Every single one of us. Lest those plagues, lest all those demonstrations of God's superiority over every other God, everything that Egypt would trust in, God says, I'm going to show you that it's nothing. And he says, I'm going to show you that your career is nothing. My goodness, how many people jump out of high skyscrapers when the stock market crashes? Do you think maybe the plague came upon them? Do you think maybe they had their identity wrapped up in something other than here? Do you think that maybe When somebody's career crashes, how many guys, when they turn 65 and retire, by the time they're 67, are dead? There's a lot. There are a lot of men. Why? It's not because something magical happens between the ages of 65 and 67. It's because they built their identity around that career. They built everything that they are. They define themselves by that career so that when that career is no longer, they themselves are no longer. They have no reason to live. And they spend the next 18 months of their lives puttering around, drooling out the side of their mouths before thankfully they finally grab their heart, keel over, and get out of everybody else's way. That's the sad reality of so Many men in our society who've identified themselves by things other than their relationship with God. Beloved, there are so many arenas, so many areas in your life and in my life where this is a very serious challenge. You pay your half shekel. And if you don't buy in, if this isn't your faith, if this isn't yours that you're hungry for and leaning into, beloved, trust me, you'd prefer to have your bathtub turned into blood. I can pull the drain on that one. What I can't do is pull the drain and drain out the toxic poison that I have built 30 years building up in my marriage. I can't pull the plug on the drain and turn the clock back and reclaim those years of my life that i wasted in blaspheming my god and blaspheming my parents being utterly ingrateful ungrateful being an utter ingrate towards my parents and living a life of pleasure and prodigal sonness i can't recapture those years and beloved this is your challenge. I don't care how old you are. If you're five years old, if you understand this simple truth, God says, lean in. Own it. This is your faith. Do it. I'll tell you briefly. I had a conversation with someone not too long ago. It was a conversation in a situation that I've faced far too many times in my pastoral ministry. Two things I hate. I hate death. I hate it. We were not created to die. I hate the way that death shreds people. It shreds children. It shreds parents. It shreds spouses. Death is nasty and ugly and there's nothing pretty about it at all. I hate death. The other thing that I've seen that is a form of death is marriages that are shredded. Marriages where the guy says, This is just who I am. What can I say? I lose my temper. You know, you don't understand how she can push me. She knows my buttons and she gets me, ju- she intentionally does it, and I just lose it. I'm sorry I hit her. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have happened. But you need to look at her. This is her fault. Hey, I'm who I am. I'm emotionally disengaged. I'm just not the kind of guy. She wants affection. She wants assurance. She wants reassurance. She wants stuff from me that I can't give. That's not who I Suck it up, man. Suck it up, women. Do your job. Do your job. This is our responsibility to buy in, to live this life, to pursue these things. Let God sort out the effects and the details. But you and I are called to obedience. You and I are called to do what God commands us to do. That enough is simple. It's not rocket science, brothers, sisters, children, parents. It's not rocket science. You know what is set before you. The way of right and the way of wrong choose you this day whom you will serve. This is the way. Walk ye in it. The person who prays, is one who has bought in. Thirdly and finally, the effect of prayer. The effect of prayer. As we listened to those spices, did you hear those ingredients in the spices and the oils? There was myrrh, there was frankincense, there was olive oil and salt. I bet you picked up on those. But I wonder how many of you can identify cassus? Well, if you can, please talk to me afterwards because no Hebrew translator can. <laughs> Ten of the ingredients that are listed here, six of them are completely unknown to any of us today. Six of them are words that nobody knows what they mean. Some of them are found only in this place in the Bible, nowhere else. So we give it our best guess. We assume that one of these is an aromatic stalk of some type. Some type. That's why it says aromatic cane. That's an assumption. It's based on pulling together the pieces of the word that we found, but we have no idea what these things are. But here's the point. are absolutely, and the text says so, these are absolutely unique to God. God takes this incense, he takes these prayers as absolutely precious to him, they belong to him, they are important to him, and they are of the essence of your relationship with him. The second most precious thing Is the silver. That's what we give. The second most precious thing in worship. But the most precious thing is covered in gold. And that is the altar of incense. Now do you see how we transition there? It's not my gold and my prayers. On our refrigerator, we have, as I'm sure many of you have, on your refrigerators. I love art. You've been in my home, you know. I've got some really cool pieces of art, and I love to tell the stories behind each piece of art. Everyone is chosen for a meaning. But on my refrigerator, that's my wife's. That's where she hangs art. And you know what's not on our refrigerator? Michelangelo's David. Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son. Van Gogh's Sunflowers. (laughs) Starry Night. All sorts of beautiful things I can tell you all about. I can discuss with you at depth. You know what's on our refrigerator? A crayon thing that says, I love Jaja. That's what's most precious to her. And in reality, that of all the stuff in there, if, if I'm going to see anything go up in flames... I'm probably going to grab the drawings off the refrigerator as I run out the door before I'll grab my beautiful thing of Rembrandt off the wall. How many of you say, I don't know how to pray. I, can't, I listen to these prayers. They're so glorious. Give him your refrigerator art. Give him your coloring crayons. Give him what your heart gives him. Give it to him out of love. And you know what? You will find that it becomes gold. It becomes gold because that's the work of Jesus Christ. God delights in that child refrigerator art. And he responds to that childlike refrigerator art of us just. I mean, you heard in the Revelation eight the only thing the saints can muster is God. How long? How long? That's some refrigerator art. You and I, you and I can can come up with that prayer. We do it a lot, I think. God, how long? How long am I going to struggle with this sin? God, how long? Until I'm the type of husband that my wife deserves. How long? Until I'm the type of father that my children can respect. God, how long? And I lift up that prayer of longing. And what does heaven do? Heaven responds with earthquakes and lightning and thunder. Not because I've done anything magnificent in my prayer. best I've done is colored in a sketch outside the lines. But I did sign it, love. I I can write that. You know I love you. I can't articulate it. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. All the complexities, all my own brokenness. I don't know what to say. But I can say, God, how long? And he responds. Beloved, he responds. I promise you, if you will buy in, if you will seize your faith, if you will see the importance of prayer and what prayer does, how sweet it is before God's nostrils, how sweet it is before his presence. If you will commit yourself to just sharing your heart with God. Child's refrigerator art. I've got no art on my refrigerator from a child who at the age of six or seven came and said, I want you to see how the shading from the gray into the green picks up the highlights of the nuance of the trees and the leaves and the dappledness and... It's a mess artistically, but it's the best thing we've got in our house. It's the most precious thing that is in our house because it connects us to the heart of a child. God sees your prayers in that way. And the reason that this altar of incense is golden, the reason it is precious is because your prayers, as the writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4, are taken up by Christ. He is our high priest. This high priest here, who comes and offers the incense on the altar, was always just a pale shadow of the one who is your high priest, who still offers that incense on the altar, who takes your childhood prayers Brings them to his father and says, Father, this is not only your child, but I died for them. I gave my life for them. Listen to them. They're important to me, and they should be important to you. And the father says, absolutely, they are important. I sent you to redeem them. I sent you to accomplish this task. These are important to me. That's what the altar of incense shows us, what prayer is. Your engagement with God, your love for, from, and with God himself.